Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. How the song goes, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything, not something, everything, everything to God in prayer. Amen. Praise the Lord for our choir this morning, leading us in worship, preparing our hearts for the word of God, to be preached to the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, your word declares, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For by you all things that were created, and because of your will, they exist and were created. Father, your word declares that all things are from you and through you and to you. So, Father, even as we have showed up on your doorstep this morning, we, we don't come because of us. We come because of your majesty. We come because of your mercy. We come because of your magnificent grace. And, Father, we just stop by to say thank you, dear God. Thank you for another week's journey. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for getting us here and it was reasonable health and a right mind. Lord, thank you for all you have done. Thank you for food on our table and clothes on our back. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for being such a good friend. For your word declares what kind of friend will lay down their life for another one. Lord, the text tells us that for maybe a good person, you, you might want to lay down your life. But Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and you still laid down your life. When we had nothing to offer you, you, you still laid down your life. When we was a rebellion against you, dear God, we, you still laid down your life. So, Lord, we just say thank you this morning. Thank you for loving you more, loving us more than we could ever love ourselves. Thank you for keeping us and protecting us like you do. And, Lord, I, I beg and ask that you would Set our hearts on fire through and by your preached word. Father, may your Holy Spirit come in this place and remind us the cost. Remind us just what it took for us to be acceptable in your sight. May your Holy Spirit never let us forget what happened on Calvary's cross that allowed us to be declared a friend of God? And as we come, dear God, I ask that you would give us minds ready to hear from you, hearts ready to receive you, and a will ready to obey you. Father, please forgive us of our sins this day, Lord, and our trespasses for the ways we have sinned against you, the ways we have sinned against one another. And I beg right now that you would create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, that I may preach your word to your people, that we would be spurred on unto godliness, unto righteousness, 
that we will not be the same as we entered in this morning. But, Father, you have a job for us to do. You tell us to go ye therefore and make disciples. But, Father, I ask that you would make us disciples first. Lord, we do love you, and we'd be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, Forest Baptist Church. Or as we say, we are the church gathered at Forest Baptist. And indeed, it is a privilege and an honor to be with you once again. And I do want to even begin today by saying thank you. Thank you that on last week we were able to celebrate our our two-year anniversary of being together, uh, pastor and church, church and pastor. I do not take that for granted. Uh, Every single day that the Lord allows me to pastor this place, uh, it, it is a tremendous honor. I still pinch myself. There's still moments when I'm sitting on the front row and, and the preaching moment comes and I'm like, who's about to go preach? And the Holy Spirit say, you are. I'm grateful for your outpouring of love on behalf of the entire uh, Bishop family. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your kind words, your affirmations. I thank the uh, pastoral anniversary committee for their efforts and everyone that just took a part and everyone here even today. Uh, and I'm, I am actually happy to say, to report to you this morning, that Minister Antonio Wimberly uh, can now be called Reverend Antonio Wimberly. Upon yesterday, he did uh, receive his ordination, sitting under the ordination council there in Inkster, and I heard he, he passed with flying colors. So thank you for his prayers. He, he really enjoyed his time here, and it was good to have him in the house. A few things before we even dig in on Friday evening. We had a wonderful time with the uh, marriage ministry. We had an event focusing on uh, family worship. And I just want to let you know that some of those handouts are in the foyer on your way out. If you you weren't able to attend, we had a really uh, uh, blessed time with Brother Curtis Curtis and Tracy Woods as they taught on family worship and the importance of family worship and uh, the the importance of uh, being consistent in family worship. And that the world is teaching, uh, is teaching and preaching something, but do we have the answer that, that, that counters what the world is teaching? And that is the word of God. So those handouts are out there for you. I encourage you to please take one. As we prepare to celebrate, someone asked me, what do we call this 151? Do we, is it the sesquicentennial plus one? Like, is there, a, is there a word for 151? I don't think there's a word for it. But as we prepare to celebrate 151 years of gospel ministry here at Forest Baptist Church, um, on last year we had the privilege to have our inaugural Servant Leader Award last year. And going out to those individuals that uh, have served so selflessly here at Forest Baptist Church down through the years. And I'm happy to say that this year we will do the same. And on your way out, you'll find some small slips of paper. They're uh, Servant Leader Nomination. So what, what we would like for you to do is, on your way out, grab one of those forms, fill out the person who is a member here or a faithful member here, uh, fill out their name, who you think should, should be recognized as our, our servant leader uh, for this year, and turn those in to the church. We'll look through them and, 
And based upon our nominations, we will award that at our church anniversary service coming up towards the end of September. A couple other things. We are we just finished up another three circles evangelism training this morning. And there are people, there are individuals who would like to uh, have that training in how to have gospel conversations, how to simply uh, have the, the type of conversation that you can lead someone to Christ on your job and your family. So we have an evangelism training class that meets Sunday mornings, right, in room 19 at 930. And our next sessions are coming up beginning September 2nd. And October 21st, you'll see some information posted about that. I really encourage every single, especially all of our leaders, every single leader, uh, if we can't share the gospel with one another and practice on one another, then we sure ain't going to share the gospel with anyone else on our job. So this class gives you the opportunity to practice, to train, to, uh, to, to, to sharpen yourself to, in order to share the good, to, to do what God has commanded us to do, right? To go and make disciples for Jesus Christ. So that's coming up. But then lastly, we have our members meeting uh, taking place September the 5th at 630. So that's quickly coming up. And please, 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 if you can, come out. We have a lot of information. A lot of things are going on. So if you, uh, if you, if you couldn't make it, please come September 5th. It's a Wednesday at 630 for our members meeting. And we have a good time at our mem members' meeting. They're, they're, uh, whatever we do here at Forest, we want to make it worshipful. So our, our members' meeting are worshipful. We're not trying to fight and bite one another, but we're encouraging one another, spurring one another onto godliness. Amen? Amen. Well, enough of that. Let's get to God's word. I am so excited that the Lord has allowed us to go through this summer and to finish our series in the book of Habakkuk. And now... Um, the Lord has brought us to another book study, and I am excited uh, that we will be marching as a, a church through the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the Old Testament. We will begin that study, and, and, and the, book of the, the Gospel of Matthew is 28 chapters, so we know we're going to have at least 28 sermons on the Gospel of Matthew, at least 28. It's 28 chapters, at least. But once we get into the, the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be breaking that up. So we're going to be in Matthew for uh, quite a long while. But you know what? So we would see Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of Matthew, that we would have a clear picture of Jesus the Christ. I'm so excited, and we have entitled this series, The King Has Come. A journey with Jesus through the gospel of Matthew. The king has come. And, and this study will be an in-depth study of the gospel of Matthew because as, 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 as members of Forest Baptist Church, as, as covenant partners, we not only want to be hearers of the word, we want to become doers of the word, but we can't become doers of the word until we become students of God's word. That's the prayer. That through this study, we will really become students of God's word. We will be able to break down and, and chew up and, 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 and regurgitate God's word and, and this picture of Jesus through all we come in contact with. To help us do that, there's going to be a number of resources. We are really, really focusing on the book of Matthew. 
So the first thing I want to encourage you on is that during the month of September, we have a simple reading plan. Again, there's 28 uh, chapters in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to challenge you that every single day that you will begin to read one, one chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And so the easy way to do that is September 1st. We're going to look at the calendars, calendar and see it's, it's the 1st of September, so I'm going to read chapter 1. On the 5th of September, I'm going to uh, open up my Bible and read chapter 5. See, but since there's 28 chapters, we gave you some cheat days. So you, you can miss a day or two and still keep up. But if you continue to read the Gospel of Matthew over and over and over again, you won't be able to help that as you are looking at Jesus, you become uh, to uh, you start looking like Jesus. So we have a monthly reading plan plan through the book of Matthew. But then also we have some resources that we will be uh, ordering and providing. One of them is this this gospel according to Matthew journal. What I like about this is, I mean, it's real flexible, but on one side, it has the text of scripture, book of Matthew, and on the other side, it has lines. It's simple. So as you go through your monthly reading plan, you can say, okay, it's the, it's the, it's the first of September. I'm going to read chapter one, but I'm not, I'm not just going to read it from my Bible. I'm going to read it from my journal. And as I read from my journal, then I'm going to start taking notes on what I read. Ain't that crazy? You actually can take notes. Doing your devotions. It gives you the opportunity to, to reflect upon the word of God, to, to make notes on the word of God, and, and, and to equip yourself as we go deeper in this study of Matthew. And one of the blessings is that we, we will be making a like a buff order of these, and you will be able to pick one of these up for yourself for $5. You just let us know, and we will uh, get that to you. So that, that's going to be starting next week. Not only this journal, but I want to encourage you to pick up this, this small commentary on the book of Matthew. It's called Christ-Centered Exposition, Exalting Jesus in Matthew. The author is David Platt, but this is an easy, accessible, when I say easily accessible commentary, it doesn't have all the Greek words and all. It's not complicated. It's simple. But as you are reading God's word and as you are uh, journaling God's word, you can study God's word. Can you imagine? If everybody in here begins to take serious their walk with Jesus and their time in God's word, so some of those issues that you got that you can't shake, I, I, I guarantee that God will begin to shake some of that stuff off, those, those, those problems and situations and circumstances in life that you just can't stand, that just get on your nerves, all of a sudden you see how chill Jesus is. I, I'm certain your spirit starts becoming chill itself. But let's dig into this together into God's word, but then also we are producing a bookmark with the Bible study method that we've actually started using here on Wednesday C, uh, uh, C group, and it's as you are washing yourself in the word of God, you can't really get clean unless you use what when you're taking a bath. See, you can't be like your kids. You know, they like jump in and get in the water and jump out. It's like, yeah, I took a shower. Like, nah, you ain't clean. You still got a piece of ring around your mouth. You didn't really wash up. And some of us in the mornings, we want to act like we've done good enough because we got that text message of scripture. We read one scripture. We need to wash with some soap. And that acronym, S-O-A-P, S just meaning scripture. You start with the scripture. 
and you look and, and, and you see what scripture stands out that morning and you begin, you, you, may, you write down that scripture. And after that, you want to go to the O, that's observation. What things are standing out in this? What themes, what key words, what, uh, what, what questions do you have on the text? You, you write down your observation. But after you go through your observations, you go to A, that's application. Not only have I read the word of God, how do I apply the word of God to my life? How do I live this out? And you begin to tie it together, what I have read and how I should live. And then P, you, you, you close your time with prayer. You take the themes and the observations and applications and you say, Lord, now, I, now that I have read your word, help me to live out your word. So we're going to have some bookmarks uh, free to pass out uh, next week with that acronym, but this entire study we are embarking on is to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, in a church, that may be a simple question to ask, but ask some folks on your job, who is Jesus? Ask some folks in the streets, who is Jesus? And, and mind you, you may be able to look down the row and ask somebody on your very eye who is Jesus, and we might hear things all like he was a good man. Well, Jesus was a nice prophet. You know, Jesus said, yeah, he's my savior. But who does Matthew present to us in this gospel of who Jesus is? But, but even more so, we, we may see who Jesus is here in the text, but the other question we want to be able to answer as we walk through this study is, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is Lord and Savior. You know, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he, he frames the question in, in the form of a trilemma. And he says, uh, he says it like this. He says, Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. When we see the words of Jesus, and he is making these declarations of who he is. He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is from the seed of David. He is the I am. As he is making those declarations about his divinity, about him being Lord and Savior, uh, the, you know, the only thing that we can say about Jesus is if we don't believe him, then Jesus must be a liar. He's lying about something. He's really not the person who he, sa he says he is in the text. And if we still don't believe Jesus, then we must think he's a lunatic. He must be crazy to be able to. Why is that man walking on water? He crazy. Jesus in your life is either liar, Lord, lunatic, or he's your Lord. And if he's your Lord, you need to bow down to his authority and allow him to rule and to reign in your life today. In mere Christianity, he, he frames it like this, and he quotes, either this man, talking about Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Who is Jesus to you today? Well, let's see the, the theme of Matthew, and, and wh who does Matthew say Jesus is? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the 16th chapter. 
really we're just looking at one verse. My, my hope is that we will use today as an overview of the entire book of Matthew to help give us a framework, a starting point of where we're going. And as we have this framework, anytime during our series, you're trying to understand context, you're trying to understand uh, Matthew's point, or you're trying to have some more information, you can always go back to this sermon as, as, we're, uh, as it is online and get this overview of the entire book of Matthew. So here in Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13, we see that, Matt, that the, the apostle Matthew is laying out for us through the words of Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who Jesus is. If you would, just please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 13. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we look at this overview of the book of Matthew, I just want to entitle today's sermon, A Promise Kept. A Promise Kept. You know, there's something about doing what you say you're going to do. There's something about actually letting your yes be yes and your no be no. There's something about making a promise and being reliable and being dependent and being able to keep your word. Because as each, each and every one of us know that uh, uh, when someone doesn't keep their word, that can be very problematic. There's nothing like a promise made. When a promise is made to you, you, you have all the hope in the world. You, you have all this excitement and expectation that this event is going to happen because such and such promise. They said we were going to go there. They, they said that we were going to do this, and a promise was made. So when there's a promise, there's a whole lot of expectation and hope when we hear a promise. But yet, there's nothing like a forgotten promise also. Because when someone makes a promise to us, they, they say they're going to do something, but they don't do it. That can, be, that can be crushing. That can be depressing. That can cause you to not want to trust anybody. Has anybody ever made a promise to you that they didn't keep? Sometimes people stand in front of a church, in front of uh, uh, hundreds of people, and make vows to death do us part. But they break up a promise not kept. We have, we, have, we have parents raising children who are supposed to be doing things in their best interest. But they, they tell the children, they're gonna, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, 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 and the child looks up and all of a sudden that promise is not kept. There's something horrible about a promise not kept. But beloved, there's, there's nothing like a promise kept. Keeping a promise is special. Being able to be dependent 
on, being able to, to know that you're going to come through when it gets tough, knowing that, that you can depend upon something, someone else, there's nothing like being able to keep a promise. But because we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, there's going to be a point in every one of our lives that we will fail to keep a promise. If you were here today and say, I've kept all my promises, you're lying. Because the text of Scripture said we're, we're sinners and, and we're finite. You can't be everywhere at the same time. You may have promised to get to that dinner at 5 o'clock, but traffic say you're going to be there at 6. There's going to be some time that you will not be able to keep a promise. There's going to be a moment where you will fail. But beloved, God is not like us. It's not like man that he should lie. God always keeps his promises. God always comes through. God always does what he say he's going to do. As, as the saying goes, he may not come when you want him, but he comes right on time. God knows what you need before you even need it. And he keeps every single promise. This is the report we have in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is saying God is not a liar. The promise that Matthew exposes to us is, is God is faithful to his love. He is faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. This is the report of Matthew, and this is what we see here. So even as we dig into this text, I want to throw out a, 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 a few fun facts that you can write down and you can keep with you as we journey through this book. The first being that the, the Gospel of Matthew was probably written uh, anywhere around 80 A.D., surely not too long after the life of Jesus Christ. And it was written written in the, the area of Syria or Palestine. And according, <clears throat> according to tradition and what we, 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 we gleaned and picked up, we see that the apostle Matthew or uh, in the gospel of Mark, in the gospel of Luke, he's called Levi, but Matthew the tax collector is the author of this gospel. He is a disciple of Jesus with firsthand knowledge of what took place during the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then also he's leaning on other disciples writing and oral traditions. His audience would have been primarily a Jewish audience. And we see that in how he utilizes and uses the Old Testament and a lot of Jewish traditions. But it's not just for Jews. It's for Gentiles to help them to see that Jesus is not just for the Jews, but Jesus is for everybody. The text will take us on a geographic tour of places like Bethlehem, the place of Jesus' birth. Places like Egypt where Jesus flees to, Joseph and Mary flees to in order to protect Jesus. And we will go through the, the city of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. We will go through Galilee. A lot of uh, uh, Jesus' teaching and preaching is in the city of Galilee. But then finally we, we come to Jerusalem. That's where we see the crucifixion. That's where we see the full rejection of Jesus. But then we, that's where we also see 
the hope that we have in Jesus through his resurrection. This gospel of Matthew is one of four gospels found in the New Testament. And and when you hear the word gospel, it's it's different than the gospel. The gospel is the good news about what God has done through Jesus Christ to rescue sinners for himself and for his glory. But 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 a gospel is a, a, a snapshot, a picture of the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. It is this is not a congregational letter like like Paul in the epistles. This is not here to try to to uh, that. So you can look at a particular word and try to get a teaching point. He wants you to to observe the life of Jesus. The Gospels are selective accounts of Jesus' life. They are portraits. The book of Mark. This is probably the earliest Gospel written, and it deals with Jesus as the suffering servant, the perfect servant. The Gospel of Luke, it gives us the fullest biography of Jesus, and and we see that Jesus is the Son of Man, the perfect man. Then in in the book of John, we see that this is the most symbolic gospel. Jesus is the divine Son of God. And in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus is King, the sovereign King of the Jews. And the Gospels are primarily narratives. And what a narrative is, is a story. And when we are interpreting a narrative, we want to look at the story and say, why? We want to ask the why question. Why does Matthew put this story here? Why does Jesus say this? Why does his disciples say that? So as you are working through this narrative, you want to be asking questions of the text. Why? Don't just read it. Say, why? Jesus, why did you say that? Why did you turn away the the rich young ruler? Why are you only speaking in parables? Because this helps you understand why Matthew has written this book. We want to look for context and if the the editor gives any type of comments, but we also want to look for repetition. See, in, in, in the gospel narratives, they didn't have all caps. They didn't have exclamation points like, like, like we have. So, so when there's a point that they're really trying to get across, they will use repetition to say, look, I'm saying something right here. So what Matthew does is, is paint a portrait and tells us to look at Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Reflect on Jesus. And you will see just who he is. Matthew doesn't try to to give you a a particular argument to say you should believe Jesus, but he believes that if you just look at the life of Jesus, if you see what uh, uh, how Jesus talked, you would know he's the son of God. If you just just look at how Jesus walked, you would know he's the son of God. If you if you see how Jesus healed the lame and he he gave the, the 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 blind sight, and he cast out demons, and he walked on water. He said that if you just really looked at Jesus for a second, you would know who he is. When I think about this book, I, I, I was reminded about the dentist's office and being young. And you know when you go in the dentist's office, it ain't, it ain't much to do in the dentist's office. They got a couple magazines, a 
Everybody's in there quiet. You ain't talking to your neighbor. You just want to get in and get out. But when I was young at the doctor's office, I remember there, it was this portrait on the wall. And it, it was weird because it just looked like a bunch of dots. And it, it, it was shaded a couple different colors. I'm like, what is that? So I go up to it, and I, and I just start looking. And I start staring at it. But as I started staring at it, y'all saw them pictures, that it, you, you start staring at it, and all of a sudden, it goes 3D. And you begin, so I, I remember staring at this picture, and all of a sudden, the way my eyes was fixed, I began to see the mountains in the background. I began to see a, a, a creek and, and, and some deer by the creek. I began to see the plants and the shrubbery. I began to see this beautiful illustration, but I had to sit down and pause and stare at the picture. It wasn't until I slowed down that I could really see what was taking place in the picture. And Matthew was trying to tell you, you need to slow down and just look at Jesus to get the whole picture. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus is king too. That means that Jesus just can't be savior of my life. He must be Lord of my life. He has the authority to tell me what to say and what not to say. He has the authority to tell me where my little feet should go. He has the authority to say what, the, what I should say and how I should act and what decisions I should make in my life. If you are here today and you're still making your own decisions, then Jesus ain't your Lord. And heaven is the place for folks where Jesus was their Lord and Savior. This gospel of Matthew is beautiful because it acts as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is so heavily quoted in this book of Matthew, uh, we see in the Greek New Testament that there are 54 direct quotations, citations from the Old Testament. 54 times we see specific scripture from the Old Testament brought into the New Testament. But not only that, another 262 times the, the author is alluding to something in the Old Testament. He might not say the full scripture, but he's alluding to something that happened back then. He, he's bridging the gap, helping the Jews to move from that Old Testament Testament mindset to that New Testament mindset. And by quoting the Old Testament like he does, Matthew is validating the claim that Jesus is, in fact, the prophesied Messiah. What's the big deal with that? Why does Matthew go to such levels, such, uh, such detail, to show that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, he goes to those levels because in Genesis 3.15, we see that um, man falls into sin. Uh, Adam and Eve are disobedient to God in the garden. He says, do not touch of the tree, but they touch of the tree, they partake, and sin enters into creation. And what sin does, sin causes separation from God, that, that vertical relationship, but then we saw that sin uh, uh, also created a horizontal, uh, a fracture of a relationship. Now the, the man can't relate well to the woman, and the woman can't relate well to man, and the man can't relate well to the earth, and all hell has broke, lo broke loose because sin has entered into creation. But what does God say? 
he makes a promise. The, he, the promise is that the seed of the woman will come and crush the seed of Satan. Though, though, though the serpent may bruise his heel, he shall crush the head of the serpent. He's saying that one would come and be able to defeat sin once and for all. One will come and be able to deliver people from their sin for his glory. And, and for the rest of the Old Testament, the question is being asked and shouted from each chapter, from each scripture, who's going to crush Satan's head? We, we, move through math, we move through Genesis and quickly see that, that the son of the, the, the seed of the woman, they, they, they're the ones that are supposed to crush the Satan's head. But Cain and Abel come along and Cain kills Abel, so sin is there. Then we move along and we, we see that, uh, uh, that the, the world has become so wicked that God destroys the world and allows Noah and, and his family to aboard an ark and be saved. The question in that text is, Who's going to crush the serpent's head? You move through Genesis and you see all the, uh, the patriarchs coming. Will, will Abraham be the one to crush his head? Will Isaac be the one? Will Jacob be the one? Though they are a form of the one who will come, they all have faults and they all fail and they all fall into sin. Then you move into the book of Exodus and, and now the, the people have become a nation. And will the nation crush the head of, serpent, of the serpent? Nope. The, 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 the nation, they become disobedient to God and they turn their backs on God. And God says, I'm going to strike you down in the wilderness and I'm going to raise up another generation. And they, they get over to the land and the question, will Joshua crush the head of the serpent? But Joshua can only do a conquest so far. They don't take all of the land and they, and they still find themselves in sin. We go to the book of Judges and the people start doing what they want, how they want. That there's no one who is obeying God. And the question is still being asked who will crush the head of the serpent you go through judges and now you get to the kings and will king Saul crush the head nope will king David crush the head nope will king Hezekiah crush the head nope will king Ahaz king Josiah king Jehoshaphat will they crush the head of the serpent nope and then you keep going and the prophets are saying though this one though this king may not crush the head of the serpent one is coming who's going to crush his head. And what Matthew sets us up is for some good news because in an area where everybody else has failed, now Matthew says Jesus will succeed. Jesus is the one who will crush the serpent's head. That's why Matthew, is, Matthew takes his time. He ain't in no rush. Don't run past this. The hope of thousands of years has arrived. We hope for stuff for two days and we tripping. We, oh, oh, we, I can't handle, I can't cope. We can't cope for a week trying to wait on something. Thousands of years. Someone's going to get you out. Someone's coming that's going to deliver you. Someone's coming who's going to be your help and your hope. Someone's going to reconcile you back to the Father. And Matthew says, the king has come. You ain't got to wait no more. He has arrived. 
and his name is Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. He starts the book by telling us who Jesus is. Matthew 1, the first chapter, the first verse, it simply says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, David, the son of Abraham. That's thick. That one line is so rich. We're going to tackle most of it next week, but I just want to look at Jesus' name. He says, the book of the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus Christ, Jesus. That's the Greek form of the name Joshua, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord is our salvation. He, so right off the bat, Matthew was saying, God has come to save us. God has come to rescue us. God has come to deliver us. But he says, Jesus Christ. See, I want y'all to understand. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his, is his messianic title. It's, it's his hope. Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, is, is roughly in the Greek, uh, it's the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah or anointed one. See, in the Old Testament, again, Matthew is the bridge from the Old to the New. In the Old Testament, the anointed one was used of priests sometimes. The anointed one, the one who can go before God. The anointed one, it, it was also used of kings. God's anointed one. David, don't touch my anointing. The anointed one, the one set apart. But turn with me to 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. Because as time went on, the Jewish understanding of, of the Messiah began to change a little bit. And what he wants us to see in 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, verses 12, starting with verse 12, God makes a promise to David, and he says this, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if we just stop right there, it may be easy to think, okay, he's just talking about Solomon. Because Solomon's going to come, and Solomon's going to build the temple. And yes, that is true in the Old Testament. You see, the, you see there is a, a way that the Bible shows that this means now, but then also this means later too. And that's what he does in verse 14. Because he goes on and he says, the end of verse 13, I'm sorry, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Is he saying Solomon's going to live forever? No, he's not. In verse 14, he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Verse 16, here's the key. And your house and your kingdom shall 
be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So the Jews began to see the, the Messiah as the descendant of David who will be the king to come and rule over their people. He will be the one to set them free, to destroy all yokes, all strongholds being placed upon them. There would be no more oppression because the Messiah would come. The Messiah, it, it came to be an expression linked in the Jewish mind to David. They would always see someone from David would come. And we see in a genealogy that Jesus does come. Some 51 times in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned. The kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. And if you know anything about a kingdom, a kingdom always has a king. And Matthew is saying that Jesus is the king. Jesus is not just a historical figure. Jesus is the fulfillment of promises and prophecies. The gospel of Matthew is a gospel of fulfillment. Think about it. Christmas Day is a day of fulfillment. Christmas Day is the culmination of you running up your charge card, buying gifts for people you really don't even like, you just want them to like what you bought them. Your kids go crazy. And, and it, but it's the day of fulfillment because that morning everyone wakes up and, and, and the hopes of what they thought they would get, it's like all of a sudden it's there. Beloved, the book of Matthew is the gospel of fulfillment. Every single thing that a good Jew would hope for has arrived in King Jesus. What I also love about the Gospel of Matthew is how skillfully it's been crafted. You, I, I, I utilize a resource called the Bible Project. It's, it's a wonderful resource. You could go online, go on YouTube, and it has uh, information and drawings for, uh, for just about every book of the Bible. It is fantastic how it walks you through theology. Uh, a lot of what I, I'm taking here, I even got from that. And, and, and what it shows us is that Matthew, he took a lot of oral traditions about Jesus, and, and, and he puts them on paper, some, some 20 miracles and over 20 parables, and he does all of that to show that Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David. And he not only, so, so he wants to show you this picture, and in that picture, he adds to it, he wants you to see that Jesus is a type of Moses, but greater. And he also wants you to see that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And, and he wants you to see this picture of who Jesus is. And he begins, so he crafts this, this gospel in a, such a way that you can't help but see it when you step back and look. In chapters 1 through 3, this is almost like a prologue. That this is an introduction to everything. And in chapters 1 through 3 of Matthew's gospel, he connects Jesus to the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophetic promises. And then from the, the first three chapters, he begins to move to these narratives and these discourses. The narrative will be the portion. That's why it's kind of confusing to read Matthew. you like, I'm reading a story, but not Jesus is talking. And then the story, but Jesus is talking. It's, it, it's composed of five narratives and five discourses. Every discourse comes at the end of every narrative. And what he does 
he, he begins to lay out in chapters 4 through 7 that Jesus, he announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But then in his discourse, and in, in Jesus' talks, this is the, the chapters of the Sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. But in chapters 8 through 10, he focuses in how Jesus brings the kingdom into people's lives. And the discourse there is how Jesus is sending the 12 to the people. In chapters 11 through 13, we see how the people respond to Jesus. Everybody ain't happy Jesus there. Some of the people who are healed, they, they come to Jesus. The disciples believe in who Jesus is. There's a moment where even John the Baptist is like, go ask Jesus, is he really the Messiah? He, there's some folks who are not sure who Jesus is. And then there's folks who, who hate the idea of who Jesus may be, the, the religious folks, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But then also in chapters 11 through 13, we see in chapter 13, the largest uh, compilation of Jesus' parables in one chapter. And he's talking about the kingdom. In chapters 14 through 20, we see people's expectation about the Messiah. See, some of the people believe that the Messiah will only come as king and conquer. Get them out from under Roman oppression. But what Jesus does is he shows them that he is bringing in an upside down kingdom. In chapters 21 through 25, we see this battle now between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent being the Pharisees. Jesus goes in on the Pharisees. In this, in chapter 23, he goes in. You whitewash tomb. He goes off. Because they have a form of religion with no salvation. They look good on the outside. But they're dead on the inside. Jesus Jesus can't stand when people are, are fake in front and act like they know him when they really don't know him. But then in chapters 26 through 28, it's almost like an epilogue, but more so it's the climax, the culmination. Because in chapters 26 through 28, we, we have the Passover meal. We're going to celebrate the meal today. But then uh, we see the crucifixion and the Great Commission. Beloved, through his gospel, what... What Matthew does is he wants you to see Jesus as a new Moses. Just as Moses came out of Egypt, Jesus comes out of Egypt. Just as Moses crossed the Red Sea, a form of baptism, we see Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. We see that Moses was with the children of Israel for over 40 years, but now we have Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. And Moses, he is the one, he receives the law from on the mountain. But we see Jesus, he's the one who sits and gives the law from the mountain. See, Jesus is this new Moses, the, the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books are mirrored by these five discourses. It's almost as if Jesus said, yeah, Moses did good, but I'm going to show you one better. And what we see is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Noah. He's greater than David. He's greater than anyone, any person who has come because Jesus is the king. Because only Jesus delivers from slavery. Only Jesus 
gives this new divine teaching. Only Jesus saves from sin, and only Jesus initiates a new covenant in his blood. Where's our hope? This is it. I've said all of that for this point right here. The gospel of Matthew ultimately declares to us that because Jesus is the promised Messiah, we have good news. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of past, those who receive him now have good news. This is good news for the Jews. For over 400 years, they hadn't heard a word from God. Now God speaks not a word, but in a person, Jesus Christ. The Jews are under Roman oppression. They're, they're enslaved in a sense, but now Jesus comes to set them free spiritually. This is good news for the Gentiles because previous to Jesus coming and dying on the cross, they would have been separated in their worship. They couldn't come near. They couldn't go past the Holy of Holies. They, they couldn't sit down and worship with everyone else. But because of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, Gentiles say, I'm a Gentile. We all Gentiles. Now we can come near to the throne of Christ, to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. But ultimately, this is good news for us. Because Jesus sets us free from the oppression from sin. This is good news from us because now we don't have to wait on the word. We have a word from above. This is good news because God didn't just say, go on and do your thing. But Emmanuel comes and dwells with us. In the midst of our mess. In the midst of our brokenness. In the midst of your disobedience, Jesus is trying to walk with you. And it's good news for us because we can come near in worship. The question that we can ask today, who do you believe Jesus is? Jesus wants to make you a promise this morning. And the promise is for all those who would repent from living for themselves and turn toward him by faith, they would be saved. No longer would they be found enemies of God, but they would be found to be a friend of God. They would have an eternity to spend with him that this life is just the beginning. But he is calling people to himself through the shed blood of Jesus to spend an eternity with him. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Is Jesus a liar? A lunatic, or is he your Lord? My prayer is that you would trust Jesus as Lord even today as we begin the study of the book of Matthew. Let's pray. Lord, you're faithful. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are a promised people. And Father, even as we embark on this journey with Jesus, I ask that you would bring new people into the fold. That even today, Lord, we something that we have heard, some, some truth that you have pointed out would finally draw us near to you. Father, I pray for the one who is struggling in their sin. I ask that you would set them free. I ask that you would give them victory through repentance and faith. For the follower of Christ who, who says they love you but really don't know you, Lord, I ask that you would just draw them near, help them to see you for who you are, 
Father, we ask that you would do an amazing and incredible, a mighty and powerful work through this study in the Gospel of Matthew. As we recognize who you are, that is King. Father, please be our King today. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen.